in the gospel according to Luke, the 15th division, that publicans and sinners were drawing near to Jesus. They wanted to hear him preach. Well, when the scribes and Pharisees saw these publicans and sinners drawing near to Jesus, they were scandalized, they were incensed, they were absolutely livid over it. They said, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Guess what? Those words were not meant as a compliment. They were words that were uttered in condemnation of Jesus Christ. But to us, to me and to you, those words contain an inclusive statement of the truth concerning Jesus Christ as the Savior of men. It would be fair to say that you could gather from the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you could gather from those four narratives a selection of passages and put them together and it could actually be called the fifth Gospel. And we could actually call it the Gospel according to the enemies of Jesus Christ. Because they said, this man receives sinners. And he eats with these sinners. And then with disdain in their voice. <clears throat> is not this the carpenter? Which is to say, well, we know who he is. We know all about him. He's one of us. There's, there's nothing special about him. Who does he think he is? To set himself up to be a teacher in the synagogue at Nazareth. Those words were spoken with surprise. Those words were spoken with scorn. They weren't spoken with pleasure. And they weren't spoken with admiration. These ignorant guides of the law. The scribes and the Pharisees. These ignorant guides of the Jews, they could not understand a preacher of religion having anything to do with these wicked people. It was true. The testimony of the scribes and the Pharisees, it was literally true. Jesus Christ was indeed one who received sinners. He received them to pardon them. He received them to sanctify them. He received them to make them fit subjects for heaven. He said, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Moffat's translation says, I didn't come to the call the pious. I came to call the irreligious. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. The Apostle Paul would write to young Timothy. And he would say, Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am chief. So what we have is we have this accusation against Jesus in Luke chapter 15. And Jesus answered their accusation. And He's preaching to an audience that's not made up of the morally fit. Those sinners He's accused of associating with and those sinners He's accused of eating with there are folks that are quite conscious that they have made a mess of things. But they're listening to Jesus. 
And they're listening with a wide-eyed eagerness. They actually press about Jesus like starving men and women might press around someone who was giving away bread. Because you see, in Jesus Christ, their deepest needs are being met. Their dreams are being reborn. Hopes that have long been dead are having a resurrection. Now you would think that this kind of response to the preaching and teaching of Jesus would actually thrill and gladden the hearts of the most selfish and indifferent of men. But you look at this. And those scribes and those Pharisees are not the least bit happy about this situation. But Jesus doesn't answer their accusation with a hot denial. He accepts their accusation and He accepts it as being undeniably true. And He takes that as His text. And He preaches for us a marvelous sermon that's recorded in Luke chapter 15. It's a sermon that's actually made up of four parables. Most of the time we refer to it as as three parables. But it's actually four. You've got the lost sheep. The lost coin. You've got the lost son in the far country. And then you've got the lost son who stayed at home. And yet those four parables are united together into one single connected story. And that story is all brought together by one word. And that one word is lost. The whole story celebrates and expands on the accusation of the critics that Jesus receives sinners. Because here in this, we find the very heart of what Jesus teaches about the lost and about God's attitude toward them. This man receives sinners. Who are they? Who are the sinners? There are those who were lost. Who are the lost? They're not necessarily those who become wrecks and renegades. And the lost are not necessarily those that are hopelessly doomed and irrevocably damned. They're rather those who've lost their right relationship. In that sermon, Jesus mentions four different kinds of lost men and women. There are those who are lost in the sense that the sheep was lost. The sheep wasn't lost because it had walked off and fallen over some steep cliff to its death. It had not been devoured by wild beasts. The sheep is still very much alive. The sheep was lost in the sense that it had become separated from the shepherd and the flock. Losing the shepherd, the sheep had lost its way. It had lost its guide. It had no sense of direction. It didn't know its way back to the sheepfold. All over this land of ours, even in our own city, there are multitudes today 
that are lost in that same way. They are men and women without a master. Men and women without a shepherd. They flung away old authorities and they haven't found any new ones to command them. They have no fixed star to guide their way. And as such, they become morally adrift and spiritually adrift. And according to Jesus, they're lost. And there are those that are lost then in the same sense that the coin was lost, that piece of silver. The coin was not lost because it ceased to be silver and it becomes some baser metal like brass or lead. It was still silver. And it was not lost because it no longer bore the image of the emperor. It still did. It was lost because it was out of circulation. And being out of circulation, it was rendering no service. It was still the property of its owner. But it was as utterly useless as if it did not exist. In that same way, Jesus considers every man and woman who's out of circulation as being lost. To be sure, according to Jesus, the sin of sins is uselessness. Every parable of judgment you can find in this book, as far as I've been able to determine and as far as I remember, was uttered not against those who were guilty of some grievous positive sin, those who were guilty of some grievous great sin of passion. It was against those who had failed in their duty. The man who buried his talent. The bridesmaid who had no oil. The man who moved among the needy and did nothing to meet their needs. All of those are utterly condemned in the judgment parables of Matthew 25. And there are those among the church they claim nominal membership in the church. Their sympathies are with the church. Their names are even on the roll. But they don't pass as legal tender in help, any helpful enterprise of the church. Rarely, if ever, are they seen at any of the services of the church. So in matters of religion, they're just simply out of circulation. And there are those that are lost in the sense the prodigal son was lost. And that's, of course, a type whose lostness is completely obvious. Obvious to himself and obvious to everyone else. He's not at home. He's in the far country. He's not a worker. He's a waster. He's not lifting up. He's dragging down. He's not creating. He's destroying. And then, there are those who are lost in the sense that the elder brother who stayed at home was lost. And you know, that's the sad thing. When we talk about these parables of the lost in Luke chapter 15, so often we focus on that lost coin, that lost sheep, or the prodigal son. And we don't think about the elder son that was lost at home. Because he's not usually counted as lost. He doesn't consider himself to be lost 
And that actually makes his condition all the more hopeless. He's not away in the far country slopping the hogs like his younger prodigal brother is. He's in an environment that's wholesome and clean. What does it say about him in the text? Now the elder son was in the field. He's out where the skies were blue above his head, out where he can smell the new mown hay and the fragrance of the land. He's not a waster like his prodigal brother was. He's a worker, but he's lost because he's absolutely out of sympathy with both his father and his brother. The father grieves over the fact that the younger son's in the far country. But the older brother does not grieve. The fact that his brother is away is a matter of absolutely no importance to him whatsoever. And that his father is breaking his heart over such a trifle seems to this elder son to be utterly foolish. And when the prodigal son returns home, the father rejoices greatly. But there's no joy on the part of the industrious son. He has no love for his father. And he has no love for his brother. Jesus considers lost. Every man and every woman with a loveless heart. Every man and every woman on the top side of God's green earth who looks upon their brother or sister with cold and critical eyes. Jesus considers loss. And he indicates in this story the various ways that people become lost. Sometimes people become lost the same way the sheep was lost. That sheep in the story did not intentionally go away. That sheep did not suddenly become angry with the shepherd and the flock and determined to break his relationship with both of them. The sheep became lost because it was silly and careless. There came a day in the life of that sheep that it was grazing and the grass was green and the grass was tender and the sheep was interested in his grazing and that sheep with its head down went from one tuft of grass to another assuming the shepherd and the rest of the flock were close by and then the sheep one day looked up and found itself to be utterly alone the sheep strayed away thoughtlessly without being conscious of the fact that it was lost. You see, if we're not careful, that can happen with us. Very few people ever break with God and fling away from their convictions deliberately and maliciously. I can say this honestly. Or as the old time Preachers used to say, I can say this without fear of successful contradiction. You ever heard that phrase before? I have never, I have never personally known anyone who woke up one morning, looked in the mirror and said, you know what I'm going to do today? 
I'm going to start today to see just how big a wreck and a mess I can make out of my life. I've never known anybody that did that. I've known a lot of people that did it. But it's always a gradual process. Little by little, they leave off their religious practices. Things like reading the Bible and going to God in prayer. And then almost unconsciously, they drift into practices that war against their spirituality. And finally the day comes. They wake up and yes, they have made a mess of things. Yes, they have made a mess of their life. Yes, they have made a wreck of things in the sense that God has slipped out of their lives completely. There's some that get lost that way. And there are some that get lost the way the coin got lost. The coin wasn't lost because of its own carelessness. It was lost because of the carelessness of someone else. If you really read the story, the woman in the story was obviously not the most fastidious housekeeper. And the coin slipped from her fingers onto a floor that was not clean. And it couldn't be found. It says she swept the house looking for the coin. There's a basic difference between the coin and ourselves. You and I, we have the power of choice. The coin doesn't. So we can never become lost in such a fashion that we are absolutely blameless. And then there are others that are lost because of the sheer determination to have their own way. They're determined to do as they please. And that type of determination is the very essence of sin. The fountain source of all wrongdoing, the fountain source of all sin, is the determination to live my own life and putting my own stubborn will against the will of God. Why did the younger brother leave home? The younger son didn't leave home so he could make a wreck of his life. He didn't demand his inheritance from the father so he could spend it all and waste it all in riotous living and wake up one day totally broke. And he didn't leave home because he wanted to break his father's heart or hurt anybody else. He left home because it suited him. And he wanted to do his own thing. And he wanted to have his own way. And it was what he wanted to do. He felt like life was going to be happier. And he was going to have a better time away from his father than he was going to have at home. It, it, it's kind of like at our house, if you remember from being there at the Christmas party, I have a lot of candy dishes around the house. And I keep a lot of candy in those candy dishes and there was still candy in those candy dishes and and norman i've had a house guest for the last few days and sometimes he would get very quiet now he understood the rule about candy if you get candy out of the candy dish you bring some to poppy 
Okay, he understood that. But there's no candy dishes at his house that he can get to. But there were candy dishes at our house that he could get to, and he made the most of it. He has had lots of candy. Well, that was a crude illustration of what this prodigal son was doing. He knew if he left the father's house, there were going to be candy dishes he could get to. And nobody was going to stop him or tell him he couldn't. And so that's why the younger son left home. He resolved he was going to please himself at any cost. So he broke his father's heart and ended up in the far country. And he ended up slopping hogs. Meanwhile, the elder brother stayed very decently at home. And he did not, but the sad thing is, the elder brother didn't stay at home because he loved his father. And he didn't stay at home because he loved his brother. And he didn't stay at home so he could keep the home fires burning for when his brother decided to come back. He didn't care. He stayed at home because he felt like that was the better course of action for him. The elder brother had the same motive for staying at home that his younger brother had for leaving, and that's doing what I think is best for me. He was seeking simply to please himself. Well, when you look at this whole story in Luke chapter 15, Jesus reveals his attitude towards sinners. And that's me. And that's you. And Jesus makes it plain. He's the sinner's friend. And no man or woman who ever came in contact with Jesus ever doubted that. The scribes and the Pharisees, they were totally indifferent to the lost. But Jesus Christ regarded them with infinite concern. Jesus knows who's lost. And He cannot be content as long as one lamb is away from the fold. Jesus' heart goes out to the whole world. And know this. Jesus does not love us in the mass. Jesus does not love us in the aggregate. Jesus loves us individually. Paul put it this way. Jesus Christ, He loved me and gave Himself up for me. Do we ever personalize the Gospel that way? Jesus loved me. And Jesus gave Himself up for me. They said, this man receives sinners. When? When they repent and when they obey His will. So the gospel of Jesus Christ then is a gospel for sinners. That those who receive the gospel, those who are obedient to it, those are the saved. And you see, when Jesus cleanses us and saves us, we're not just saved from a penalty. We're not just saved from the penalty of hell. We're restored to a right relationship with God. When we're obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that makes us right with God. Makes us right with each other. It makes us right with ourselves. 
In the book of Acts, you read a story of two prisoners. Their backs are torn and bleeding, and they're turned over to a certain jailer in the city of Philippi. And they're thrown into the inner prison without even a sympathetic glance at the horrific wounds that they've suffered. But a few hours later, the seeking shepherd found this jailer. And those two prisoners preached Jesus to him. And that jailer took them and he washed their stripes. That spells repentance in any language. And he and his whole household were baptized. Same hour of the night. He was a sinner. He was lost. He came to Jesus and obeyed the Lord's law of pardon. And Jesus received him. Jesus Christ receives sinners. And He eats with them. People like me. People like you. It's His invitation as we stand and while we sing.